Amen. If you could remain standing, if you would like to take your worship guide. <clears throat> and we are going to be praying together the prayer of illumination, followed by our New Testament reading here before the preaching of the word. So let's pray together. God of mercy, you promised never to break your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of our generation, speak your eternal word that does not change. Then may we respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. If you could remain standing and turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, we're going to continue our study through this book. I'll be starting in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I'd like to thank Josh and everyone for this opportunity to be able to bring God's word to you. What a rich blessing and responsibility. It is. For those of you who do not know me, um, I am, Lord willing, going to be joining uh, Pastor James in the church plant in Stevens Point, and again, Lord willing, as his intern. Um, so I'm excited about all that, and I'm excited to be able to preach today. One of the greatest gifts in life is the sense of belonging. There is nothing worse than being that kid who isn't included in the club in elementary school. I remember when I was just a boy and my friends 
all had the one ring that ruled them all from the Lord of the Rings. Sure, it turned their fingers green, and it didn't make sense that there was more than one of these rings, but that didn't matter. To have the ring was the key to gaining access to the fellowship of the ring that my friends had formed. Unfortunately, I did not have this ring. Therefore, every time I went to play with my friends, I was stuck playing the character of either Sauron, Saruman, Gollum, or one of those nasty orcses, as the Gollum would say. I was going to say that like Schmeagol, but my wife pled for me not to. The battles always ended the same, as you can imagine. I lost, and the fellowship uh, remained strong. I mean, we were very committed to this. I still have a scar on my belly. At the end, when I lost, I fell on my own sword. We were way too committed. But you see, going back, it, it, was, it was easy to know who belonged in this family because the ring, or if they weren't wearing the ring, the green finger from wearing the ring too much. It made it clear who belonged and who didn't. One can tell who was and who was not a part of this family, who belonged to this family, simply by looking at their hand. Well, this sense of belonging, as you can tell, is a rather silly version of it. But let's take it to a more serious matter. How can we tell who belongs in the family of God? Or let me be more pointed. How does one become a member of the family of God? There is literally not a more important question for us to ponder today. And it is the question that the individuals, the characters of our story, of this text today, it's the one that they are wrestling with. So the text we just read is largely a retelling of an event that has already been told two times in chapter 10. If you've been here the past two weeks, you know that. The primary point in the account given in chapter 11, however, is slightly different than the accounts given in chapter 10. And the fact, this is something we need to lock into our minds and hearts, the fact that this account is now being told a third time, and at such great length, demonstrates the importance of what is going on here. This is one of the biggest paradigm shifts in all of the New Testament. That's a big deal. Let's take a look. In your worship guide, you have an outline there if you'd like to follow along. If nothing else, um, at least write down the many passages that I plan to take us to today. Here in verse 1 of chapter 11, it said, The apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. You know, we all know this to be true. Good news travels fast. And what's even more, scandalous news travels ten times faster. Well, this news of what has happened in Peter's life was both good and scandalous. And it moved quickly ahead of Peter as he traveled to Jerusalem. The discernment bloggers had blogged. We all have way too many of those online. The Facebookers had posted. And the Instagrammers had grammed. It was out. Everyone knew what had happened, or at least they knew some version of it. So what was this good news? Let's look at it. It says, the Gentiles received the word of God. 
Now this is no just light statement. What does it mean when we say they received the word of God? That means more than uh, they allowed Peter to come and simply present his message without being slapped. No, when it says they received the word of God, that means they received it warmly. They accepted it. They bought into it. The Jews listening would have known very well what was meant by this when you say they received the word. Because in Acts 2.41, this is the same descriptor that was given of them after they heard the preaching of Christ by Peter at Pentecost. It says in Acts 2.41, So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So to receive the word is nearly synonymous or is synonymous with your conversion to Christ. We see this word again in Acts 8.14. This happens in Samaria just a few chapters prior to the one we're at now. It said, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word, in other words, these Samaritans had ultimately taken hold of Christ, the Christ had taken hold of them. They had received the word warmly. We will see this again in a few months or a few weeks in Acts 17, when we talk about the Bereans. It says they, in, in contrast to the Thessalonians, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So this is the good news. Peter, he went to Jerusalem. I'm sure he's excited. There are a lot of others excited. You know, we're all here as a church. There's a lot of different minds here. You know, some of us get excited about some things that others don't. But there's a good group, I'm sure, that are very excited. Look, here's a big chunk or a good group of people that have received and received Christ. But like I said, there was also scandal. And what was the scandal of this news? It says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. Now, I know this may sound simple, but we still need to clarify. What is the circumcision party? I'm not talking about a party celebrating circumcision. You know, there wasn't this big group of people that are like, woohoo, circumcision. That's not what's going on. This is a group of people, the Jewish believers. For instance, at Livingstone, we have different groups. Josh just prayed for a few of them. We have official groups like the women's group that meets regularly. We have the men's group and different community groups that meet regularly. These are pretty formal groups, um, as in they are established. But we also have informal groups amongst us. I know there are several people here, people here who love backpacking, who love camping. There are also probably a lot of you here that would be considered an in you know, Green Bay Packers fans. So you would all get together and watch a Green Bay Packer game. Or there may be some poor souls here that would say, you know, we're the Bears group. Who knows? Either way, different groups. But this circumcision party, this Jewish believer group, is far more substantial than any of these groups that I just mentioned. They had a rich history. Well, it says that the circumcision party criticized Peter for something they saw as scandalous. So just let's get into the setting of the story. Peter walks in here to the Jerusalem church and this party over there awaits him, you know? They're all sitting there like glaring at him. People like my grandpa always says, they look like they're vaccinated with pickle juice, you know? They're just kind of... Maybe that's what they look like, I don't know. But you know, they're like, Simon, Simon, Simon. Oh, Cephas, you take a seat. We have some words that we would like to share with you. 
Like, well, what's the accusation? We heard that you went and you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, this would not mean much nowadays, especially for those of us who are so distant from Jewish culture. If someone accused Donovan, our brother here, of eating with uncircumcised men, it would certainly come off as odd. But it wouldn't amount to anything other than an awkward pause. But in today's passage, I want you to understand, this is a very, very big deal. These Jewish believers, they were not social bigots. Sure, they most likely had adopted a form of racial superiority toward those who were not Jewish. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Their concerns were over matters given by God himself. God had put things in place to keep Israel holy, separated, and entirely devoted to himself. And that's what's on their mind. You say, well, where exactly do you get this? What are some things that might have been in their mind? Turn with me to Exodus 12, 19, 4 to 6. Exodus 19, 4 to 6. Exodus 19. This is what would have been on their mind, okay? They're taking the word of God seriously, and let's at least commend them for that. Here's what it says in Exodus 19, 4 through 6. This is God speaking, of course, this is his words to his people, the Israelites. They had just been taken, they've been delivered from Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea, and now they're at Mount Sinai waiting for more instruction. And here's what's told to them. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, here's the important part, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, Peter, do you not remember when God told us that we are a treasured possession? We, the Israelites, we're the treasured possession among all the peoples. Have you lost your mind, Peter? But that's not the only text that would have been on their mind. Turn with me over a few more pages to Leviticus chapter 20. If you don't want to turn there, at least write it down. Leviticus 20. I'll begin reading in verse 22. You shall therefore, again this is to Israel, you shall therefore keep all of my statutes and all of my rules and do them that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the real important chunk. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, the unclean bird from the, uh, the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you shall be mine. There it is. Right there in your face, in writing, God's word. 
They're saying, Peter, look at this. We are to be separated from other peoples by God's own word. We are to separate the clean from the unclean. And yet here you are, and you've spent much time dining and fellowshipping with those who are unclean. How could you do this? But Peter, there's even more. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 4. I will begin reading here in verse 1, chapter 7, Deuteronomy. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. So here's the motivation behind what God has commanded them to abstain from uncleanliness. Because if they were to intermingle with these pagan nations, what would happen? They would turn from serving the one true God to serving false gods. Now think, this is on the heart and minds, I'm sure with many other things, of these, this Jewish party though that's criticizing Peter. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They're saying, Peter, do you not know that God has separated us socially from the Gentiles so that our children might not serve other gods? If the Gentiles are to commune with us, they must do it as they've done historically. They must come over to our ways. Peter, you're walking on thin ice. Honestly, what you're saying, what we've heard about you, is terrifying. Are you okay with our children, your children, turning from God? Maybe it's still not hitting you yet with maybe just how this would have hit them, okay? Maybe we still look at them too judgmentally in a way. Let's consider it in our context. This is literally all the Jews have known. This is in the word of God they hold in their hands. Now Peter seems to have steamrolled all they have known and held dear. The, pur the purity of their calling seems to be put to st put at stake. Of course they have questions. Let's put it to our context here. It would be as if, it would be as this hypothetically, Josh and James were to come, or Pastor Josh, Pastor James were to come before us one morning and they were to say, guys, we no longer need to gather for public worship. Now, how would that hit you? I'm hoping that would hit you right in the face and you wouldn't like what they're saying. We should all reject that because it's not true. I'm just saying because we know in our word, the word of God we have in our hands, we're commanded to meet together, right? And if we're serious about that, if Pastor Josh or Pastor James were to tell us such things, it would be very offensive. Well, this is how it would have hit these Jews, okay? It would have been very offensive. It would have been just right in their face, going in the wrong direction. Well, so what happened? Let's go to the point two, paradigm shift. Paradigm shift. In verse four, it says, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. So here it is, as I said, this news, this good news and scandalous news, it spread like wildfire, it far, you know, it, it beat Peter to his destination. And by the time he gets there, you can imagine, just like it is with any other rumor that goes about, by the time the actual source there who can clear things up gets there, who can clear things up, 
The story is all over the place, okay? There's been a lot of things added on. You know that game Telephone, where you spread, or you, there's, a, there's a phrase and then you pass it to your, the person beside you, and you see if the phrase that started and the phrase at the end matched up. You know, this is like apostolic telephone right here. And it wasn't adding up, I can guarantee it. It says because Peter then had to explain to them in order. He had to put things in order. Just imagine what he may have walked into, you know. Some of them over here may have said, you know, we heard that Peter was snake handling. Some of them over here may have said, we heard that Peter was dancing with the Gentiles on the skins of dead animals, making him also unclean, or the worst yet. We heard that Andrew Molesky was at Cornelius' house and he had smoked brisket, wrapped with bacon, and served it to everyone in Cornelius' house. Peter, lay off the bacon! So Peter had to put things in order. It's crucial for us to see what he does here. From A to Z, Peter pins everything in his defense. Because, okay, so here, he's on the dock here. Okay, he has to, to give defense as to what's happened. This is serious, okay? And from A to Z, he pins all that has happened on God. He doesn't say, I did this because of this, I did this because of this, I thought this. No, everything he says, he pins it on God. Look, look what he says. In verse 5, he said, I saw a vision from heaven. So first with his eyes, I saw a vision, and where was it from? From heaven. And on this vision, this vision was of a great white sheet, and on this sheet, he saw animals, beasts of prey, he saw reptiles, those things that crawl on the earth that were forbidden. I saw birds of the air. In other words, he saw the things that God had just commanded his people in Leviticus 20 to abstain from as common or unclean. Alright, so here he is, he's attacking the census here. First off, God came to me and he showed me a vision. Second off, in verse 7, I heard a voice that said, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Peter made it clear that he saw the offensiveness. I love Peter because he's just so raw, you know. He's, he's just that guy that says exactly what he's thinking. He's like, look, guys, I know what you're thinking. When God told me to rise, uh, you know, he told me to rise, Peter, kill, and eat, I just straight up said, no. By no means, Lord. Hold the phone. For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Peter appeals that he too was committed to observing all that God had commanded. He's like, guys, I'm with you. This came off as offensive to me. I straight up told God, no. He said, but then I heard a voice again. And this voice said, what God has made clean, do not call common. Here it is, the crux of the message, the paradigm shift. These things that God once prohibited have now been made clean by whom? By God. Peter being stubborn, and he's open with them even more so. He's like, guys, I'm so slow at picking this up, all right? This had to happen three times. That means three times he saw this vision. He heard this voice. He said, no, again and again and again. And it still wasn't enough. He's like, this is all from God, but it still wasn't enough to, to really get me to understand. He said, then the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Look in verse 12. He said, so first I saw, then I heard, then I heard again. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. You said, go with whom? Immediately upon the conclusion of Peter's vision, three Caesarean Gentiles, those who had been considered unclean, showed up where Peter was staying. So Peter obviously didn't get the first three signs, you know. And now the Spirit's just straight up telling him, look, Peter, go with them. 
and make no distinction. God once again gives Peter a lens adjustment. These individuals have been made clean by God. Go with them. Well, thankfully, Peter, stubborn Peter, he obeyed God's command. And not only that, he brought along with him six witnesses to view all this. And, and you know, having that many witnesses was a big deal. It could really confirm what has happened. So let's now move to our last point, passage granted. I'm going to read these verses 13 through 18 again. And he, speaking of Cornelius, told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You know, continuing the argument, Peter here once again says, it's, it's still all of God. Even when I arrived at Cornelius' household, he too confirmed that this is something beyond us. He says, the angel told him that I was going to come and I was going to declare a message whereby he and his household would be saved. In other words, Peter, we, or Peter's explaining to them, look, Cornelius, when I arrived at his house, he told me, that he had already been given a message from heaven as well, that I'm going to come and declare a message of their cleansing. To be saved is to stand clean before God Almighty. And Peter, this is why you're here, says Cornelius. This is important because it brings us to the means by which God made those once declared unclean, clean. How can God declare clean now what he once declared unclean? Did he just change his mind or did he simply choose to lower the bar? The answer to this question is exactly again why Peter was sent. You know, you can imagine it in one way. Cornelius is like, look, God said you're going to come here and declare a message where I'm going to be saved. Or you could put it in other words, God declared you're going to come here and give me a message. To answer this question, Peter, what can wash away my sin? If you look back in chapter 10, I'm not going to read these verses because Pastor Josh read those last week, but I'm going to give you a paraphrased snippet of it. In chapter 10, this is the message that Peter came to uh, Cornelius' house with. Okay. So again, the question is, Peter, what can wash away my sin? In short, Peter says, Jesus, in verse 36. And then they're probably asking, well, well who is this Jesus? Um, in verse 38, Jesus is the one God anointed from Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. What else? Jesus was the one who did all good and demonstrated his power over the kingdom of darkness by healing those who were oppressed by demons. Verse 39, we the apostles were witnesses that God was with Jesus. Verse 39 again, this Jesus that I'm talking about was crucified. But here's something remarkable. He was raised from the dead three days later. And you say, ah, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you doubt what I'm saying. Guys, believe us, we ate and drank with him after his resurrection, verse 41. Verse 42, he commanded us to preach that he is the judge of the living and the dead. And guys, the best news of this is this, verse 43. Cornelius and your household, listen to this. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
Okay, so you can imagine this news would have been explosive in the house of Cornelius. But still, there are questions, are there not? They're like, Peter, we know you were telling us that in Jesus is our only hope for cleansing, but we still don't understand how. How does Jesus take that which is unclean and make it clean? Again, did God just flippantly change his mind? He who never changes. Did he change? Did he change his mind? Turn with me to Mark 1. This will be the last time I ask you to turn. Mark chapter 1. This is a question we should all ask ourselves. How is it that God can take that which is unclean and make it clean? This is in the life of Jesus, Mark chapter 1. And a leper came to him, Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So let's jump into the story. In other words, there's this man with leprosy. I don't think we appreciate that to what it really is. Leprosy, if you, are, if you were diagnosed back in this time with leprosy, you were being given a death sentence. Leprosy was a nasty, nasty skin disease. It still exists today, but now we have you know, much better medical means to deal with it. But back then, if you, if you were diagnosed with leprosy, again, it's a death sentence. And it's this disgusting skin disease that was very contagious. So if you were diagnosed with this, not only were you going to die, and you knew it very soon, but you were going to have to live out the rest of your days in solitude. It would have been the worst form of death in my mind. Because you would be cast outside of the town, and you'd have to live on the scraps. You could no longer go to the common market and purchase food, because no one would de deal with you out of fear of catching that leprosy. So this man here, he's desperate. He's, he's just repulsive to society. But he comes to Jesus, and Jesus is moved with pity. And he says, look, if you'll heal me, I know you can. And Jesus does heal him. But then he tells him something very interesting. And you know, a lot of people are like, why does Jesus say this? He tells the man, I don't want you to say anything about this. I just want you to go cleanse, offer yourself up as cleansing as Moses commanded to the priests. Why in the world would Jesus have commanded this leprous man not to tell anyone of his healing? Well, the answer is twofold. First of all, if the man were to spread the word, Jesus would become so famous that he would no longer be able to freely walk in town. Okay? The swarms of the people would have gathered around him. Secondly, which is in connection to that, if Jesus grows in this fame as this Messiah... The Jewish leaders, not you know, seeing Jesus as a different kind of Messiah than they're looking for, would have become irate. And they would have sought to kill him before his time. So Jesus says, don't say anything. But what happened? This man in his excitement, and you know, it's kind of hard to blame him. In his excitement, 
he went out and told everyone. You say, well, Ethan, I still don't understand. What does this have to do with how Jesus makes that which is unclean, clean? Look at the picture here. When the man goes around and tells everyone, what happens? We then see it. This man who was once diseased, unclean, and a societal outcast has now been made clean and brought back into the fold. But Jesus must now trade places with him. Jesus can no longer walk openly in town as one who is clean. No, Jesus must now be the one who dwells as an outcast in desolate places. Jesus must now live as the one who's been given a death sentence. Jesus, to put it short, traded places with the man. This is what Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 5.21. How is it that we who are unclean in our sins can become clean in the sight of a holy God? For our sake, he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What happened as Peter and what happened as Peter declared this wonderful news? That this Jesus became sin for us that we might become righteousness. What happened? Turn with me back to our text in Acts 11. It says, he, t he tells these Jewish leaders, this is what happened, all right? I, I presented the gospel, and then the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it was in the beginning. Now, this is interesting. Notice Peter's very specific here when he's talking to these Jewish leaders. He says, the Spirit fell on them as it was in the beginning. Now, this is important for multiple reasons. I'm not going to go into great depth, but I do want to point them out. First, an appeal to the beginning indicates that what happened upon preaching the gospel in Cornelius' household was not the norm. The Spirit's work, he's saying, was very unique which is why I must appeal back to the beginning. It's the only example I have for you. Go back to the beginning. You say, what beginning are we talking about? Pentecost. And you say, well, what are the descriptors that Peter gives that shows us that this was a unique work of the Spirit? In verse 46 of chapter 10, the only descriptors we're giving, given is this. The people begin speaking in tongues and extolling God. In other words, glorifying God. In other words, after Peter preached the gospel to these Gentiles, they began speaking different languages and glorifying God in these different languages. What does this tell us? This demonstration of the Spirit's work was special. It was not something expected. It was not passé. Or it was not even regularly witnessed. Outside of these tectonic shifts in redemptive history, it's just not something you saw. Some today teach that we should regularly see these supernatural phenomena, but I believe such teaching would undermine Peter's argumentation in this text. In Peter's mind of argumentation, this was way outside of the ordinary, which is why he had to appeal to one circumstantial time in history. Second, why is this important that Peter says what was happening at the beginning is happening here with the Gentiles? Second, if, if the Spirit has fallen as it was at the beginning amongst the Jews, then these Gentiles are being included in whatever was happening at Pentecost. And what was happening at Pentecost? Well, Peter explained that in chapter 2, verses 17 through 21, that this blessing was prophesied 
in Joel 2.28-32 as a blessing that was to come to end time Israel. The first recipients of this message, of this blessing, of what was happening in Acts 2, would have been all ethnic Israel. Correct? They would have seen it only for them, their kingdom. But now we see this blessing being given and spread upon the Gentiles. Why is that important? It's this. The Spirit has now demonstrated that the Gentiles are part, through Christ, of end-time Israel. God's covenant people. The Gentiles are now grafted in, in Christ, as God's covenant people. This is huge. Well, Peter continues, and I'm nearly done. He says, when the Spirit fell upon these individuals, I remembered the word of the Lord, verse 16, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in his way? How futile would that be for me to try to prevent God from doing what he is doing, guys? Listen, I know you're angry. You may be a little upset, but this was all God. He did this. This was not my intended mission. I did not go out searching for this. This was all of God's doing. He baptized them with the Holy Spirit as he did to us. If, he ha if it is he who has done this, who am I to stand in his way? It is God's will for the Gentiles to be made clean. Who am I to fight God's will? Now guys, this isn't something that's just out of nowhere. This is what God had always willed. In Genesis 12:3, when the covenant was made with Abraham, God said, In Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just the Jews, but all the earth. Paul resounds this again in Galatians 3, 8-9. He says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This was always God's plan. It was always to be global, not just for the nation of Israel. Well, and final here, how did the circumcision party respond? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And then they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God granted repentance that leads to life. You say, well, which is it? Did they fall silent or did they glorify God? What he's saying here is they fell silent in their barking criticism. They were hushed. And in turn, they began to glorify God. They recognized that salvation had come to the Gentiles... And not only that, they recognized that it was all of God's doing. It says God granted repentance that leads to life. In other words, all God. God, to thankfully, God is still granting repentance to sinners today. We are still witnessing the fulfillment of his promises to his covenant people without distinction in Jesus Christ. I told you I wasn't going to have you turn anywhere else, and you don't have to. But I'm going to read from Ezekiel 36, just to show you some more of this covenant blessings that are now being dropped upon Gentiles as well, a.k.a. you and me. All of those, all because of Christ. 
He says this in verse 24 of chapter 36 in Ezekiel. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Perhaps you are here today and you are an outsider to God's covenant family. Perhaps this is your first time that anyone's ever told you you are unclean outside of Christ. Someone's, this is the, maybe this is the first time someone's ever confronted you with the filth of the sins we are in Adam. I implore you to come to Christ. We all come to Christ empty-handed. You say, well, what must I do? We all come to Christ empty-handed. Repentance comes from seeing our lack. We see the glory of God, at least in part, and we see that we have fallen way short of it. Repentance comes from that. We see that our works are as filthy rags. They amount to nothing. They're futile. Faith comes from receiving God's provision in Christ. These are not works. You say, well, okay, so I just need to start working against sin and trying to faith in Christ. Well, they're not works. As you see in our text, they are gifts from God. And only He can grant them according to His grace. Perhaps, or I would just exhort you today to place your faith in Him. He is your only hope of cleanliness, of cleanliness. He is your only hope to have all the filth of sin removed from you. You say, well, Ethan, I am a believer. Well, great. Perhaps you are here today and you already belong to the family of God. May I encourage you to never lose the wonder Never lose the wonder of what you have been granted in Christ. Our sense of belonging should never grow cold. You know what? We err so often and we think God owes us His love because He is God. We think we're owed these blessings. We think we're owed faith and repentance. But we're not. If you're a believer today, you're a part of the family of God. Never lose the wonder of that. It wasn't of your own power. Just like today, it's all of God's providence that you're here for a very specific reason, that you may grow in Christ. God brought you to himself all of his own volition, all of his grace. One story that helps me, jolt me back into reality, I love stories of adoption. You know, I was so thankful to be able to witness uh, Walter being adopted by James and Lexi. That was so beautiful, so, uh, so awesome. Um, my news feeds in Facebook, they show me these videos that they just know is going to you know, rip my heart out and make me cry. I don't cry, alright, but just kidding. They always make me cry, I just don't do it in front of people. But, you know, it's these videos of, of parents, maybe they'll come home, they, they've not seen their kids in like two years um, from the military, and then, you know, they'll surprise their kid and their kid just breaks down in tears. But one of my favorite videos is this boy, it's Christmas morning, and he's opening his gifts. And he opens his last gift and he, he, he unwraps it and it's this picture of his aunt and uncle and all of their children. And his aunt and uncle are, is the family. This family is the family he's been living with for a couple of years. 
because his home life previously um, was not a good one. And when he opens this, this package, he sees this picture, and it's kind of odd. The picture is of their family, and he's not in it. But there's a note attached, and it says, I, I don't remember the boy's name, but ultimately what the, the summary of the letter was, we want you to know that we love you, and you belong to our family. We would like to adopt you. And that boy just breaks down in tears because he knew what it was to be on the outside. He knew what it was to not belong. He knew what it was to be an outcast in a sense. But now because of love, this family has made him a part of their family. Christian, we are not owed the love of God, but he has loved us so much he sent his only son to die for us. He has made us his own. We are his children. Let's praise him for it. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we come before you and I thank you for your word. I ask that you would please, Lord, take this message, take your word, and work in our hearts that we would be shaped more into the image of our Christ. That we'd be shaped more in love, more in gratitude. And also, Lord, that we'd grow in confidence that you are still granting repentance to those who are lost. Give us a clear understanding of the gospel that we may preach it clearly. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.